Eternal Father in heaven, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. One of the best decisions any of you young people can ever make is to go as a student missionary someday. When I was in college there at PUC and I had my junior year and everything crashed, best thing I could do when I had a reconversion experience was go as a student missionary and I went to Korea. And I'd been there about six or eight weeks and my life was already beginning to turn around for Jesus. And my parents came over to visit. And we're down in Pusan on the southern coast and on Sabbath afternoon, we went out to the Taejong Day area. Beautiful, beautiful waves crashing in on the rocks, kind of like some of the California, central California coast. And the sun began to set. And here, my parents and me and six other student missionaries all together. And as the sun was going below the horizon, we just started singing our family, what was part of our family tradition to begin and end the Sabbath. Start singing, day is dying in the west, heaven is touching earth with rest. Some of you have that as your tradition too. And we sang that. And when we finished, unknown to us, there are two young Korean soldiers They had been listening in and they saw my parents and those seven children of theirs. And they came up in broken English and said, we think you most happiest family in all world. (laughs) And I was about to explain to them that no, these were my friends. and, And I thought, no. In the church family, it should be the happiest family in all the world. It needs to be the happiest family. As other families are disintegrating and falling apart, the church family becomes more important to reinforce families and strengthen people and gather them into God's family. So in Genesis chapter 2, we find the pattern for how to have a happy family, God's way. And in Acts chapter 2, we find the pattern of how to have a happy church family, God's way. And we're encouraging everybody all across the conference to dig deep into the book of Acts and Acts of the Apostles by Ellen White all this year. So we're going to dig into the last part of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, written by the Gentile, Luke. Acts 1, Jesus goes up. Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes down. Acts 3, the church goes out witnessing. Acts 4, the persecution begins. It's going to happen again at the end of time. Acts 2, the disciples who were always posturing for position and title and entitlement are now praying with each other and praying for each other instead of praying upon each other. And ten days of that after Jesus has gone to heaven and the Holy Spirit's poured out. Holy Spirit is poured out. And people began hearing in their own languages. So they could tell people good things about Jesus and the people would hear even if they didn't know their language. So the more we tell people about Jesus, the more likely it is that people will get it even if they don't know their language. God's going to do some things in the last days like He did in the apostolic times. And then Peter gets up to preach. 
And this gives me hope. Peter is the one who seven weeks before used his mouth to deny Jesus when Jesus needed him most. And now he's using his mouth to proclaim Jesus. That gives me hope. The very parts of our body that were misused for the enemy can now, after we repent and surrender our lives to Jesus again, can be used in a powerful way for Jesus. Let the hand that is accustomed to steal work with his hands. Let the mouth that cursed give blessing and encouragement and promises and praise. Let the eyes that were used to look at things that shouldn't be looked at be used to visualize the things of God and the stories of Scripture. God wants to take every part of us and we want to keep learning to surrender to Him. So Peter preaches this powerful sermon. And I just think of how, I think of that time, HMS Richard Sr. founded the Voice of Prophecy radio broadcast. He, one time he was having Bible meetings, evangelistic meetings, and this rough rancher came and he just kept hearing about the love of Jesus and the Bible truths and God melted his heart and he decided he wanted to be baptized. And Pastor Richards was in the baptistry with him. And the rancher gave a little testimony of God changing his heart and his lifestyle. And then Pastor Richards says, and now I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. He put him down under the water, and somehow the rancher, when he went down, hadn't, didn't have his nose covered, water rushed up his nose and burned it, and when he came up out of the water, he let out a whole string of curse words right there in the baptistry. And everybody goes, Phew. and Pastor Richard's thinking, what do you do now? And that's when you pray those bullet prayers to God, what do I do now? And he'll give you an impression. And so, Pastor Richard just baptized him again. And there are times when we need to be baptized again. And Peter needed to have a new start again. Then he could be used by God. And God can take us and give us a new start again. Peter preaches this powerful prophetic message, quoting the prophets Joel, and he uses the term prophet David. We think of him as a king, but a prophet David. And as a result... They're cut to the heart. They say, what should we do to be saved? And, and he says in Acts 2.38, he says, you do these two things and God will do these two things. You are to repent and be baptized. Repent means a change of mind that results in a change of direction in life. So when we're born, we are self-centered. The, it's all about us. What will make me happy? What do I want? Even little children, they learn mama, dada, me, mine, give me, wah. That's what they learn. That's kind of the order of language there. When we get older, we get more sophisticated. We say, well, you know, if you'll do this for me, I'll do this for you. And it's the same self-centeredness, self-absorbedness. It's just dressed up in a more sophisticated way. And repentance is when we realize our sins nail Jesus to the cross. We deserve eternal death. We are not like the guy says, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. No, we aren't. Our heart is selfish. It is self-centered. There's a little bit of God's goodness there, but we need Jesus. We need him. And then when we realize that, we begin thinking, 
this self-centeredness is not giving me peace. It's not really getting me anywhere. I need Jesus. He loved me in spite of me. And it turns our direction. And our new question is, what will please Jesus? What will please Him? Repent and be baptized. Baptism is important. If you've never been baptized when you're old enough to decide for yourself, to turn away from your selfishness and turn to Jesus, you need to be baptized. Talk to the pastor. Talk to church leaders. You need to be baptized. It's a public testimony to yourself and to the church and to the world. You lined up on Jesus' side from here on out. You're in it to win it for Jesus. That's what it's about. So repent and be baptized. And what will Jesus do? For the forgiveness of your sins. All of those sins that people know and all of those sins you hope nobody knows, can be washed away, taken care of. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that can give us spiritual birth, spiritual growth, spiritual gifts, spiritual power for witness. Holy Spirit will be given us. Well, you know what the response was. 3,000 baptized. They went from 120 to 3,120 in one day. What if you went from, how many members here? 300, 400? Okay, we got to start counting again like they were on the day of Pentecost, right? Let's say it was 360. That's three times there. So then what if you went from 360 and you baptize 9,000 three times. Okay? Now how are you going to look after them? How are you going to mentor them? How are you going to develop them? That's what they did in the early church. It says it right here, what they did. Verse 42, look at this. Amazing. And I'm going to invite you to circle a few things. And they continued steadfastly. It wasn't like baptism was, is all over. It's like this is the beginning. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Circle that. Apostles' doctrine. That means apostles' teaching. And fellowship. Circle that one. There's a second one. Fellowship. And part of that is in the breaking of bread. You really can have some good fellowship when you're eating together. And in prayers. There's the third one. And then drop down to verse 46. And it says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, circle that, and breaking bread from house to house, circle that, temple and house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added, circle Lord added, to the church daily those who were being saved. So what we find here is we find four activities taking place in two different places. Okay? Four activities in two places on a very regular basis. I would like to suggest in the last days, we need to make sure we personally are engaged in those four activities in those two different places. Okay? And let's just be crystal clear on what they are. The four activities... The apostles' doctrine, that means what the apostles were teaching. What were they teaching? They were teaching what Jesus told them to do. He said, go, teach them, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. Not just teaching them to understand all things, teaching them how to observe or put it into practice. Showing them how to live the Bible truths. That was one. We call that 
personal and group Bible study based on the Bible. And then there was fellowship. Fellowship's not just when we kind of rub shoulders and we say, hey, did your team win last Sunday? No. It's when, how's it going? And we hear each other's stories about how God's changed our lives. And hear the testimonies of that radical transformation. And prayer. Prayer that is focused on the one we're praying to more than the problems we're praying about. Savior-centered rather than sin and suffering-centered prayers. And then the Lord added, that is learning to talk about Jesus wherever we go and find the most receptive people to work with. Those are the four activities. And then the two places are the temple and from house to house. I'd like to suggest that if a church only meets at the church building and not house to house as well, it's only half a church. So, how does this affect each of us? Where are those areas that we want to shore up? Let's just take a few minutes and talk about it. Apostles' doctrine. Every one of those 28 fundamental ways of following Jesus is Christ-centered. I think of Willie many years ago. He didn't know about God. Somebody gave his wife a Bible. He is lying in bed, summertime. He is principal at a public school there near the Texas-Mexico border. And he's lying in bed depressed. Alcoholic. Trouble with his kids. And somebody had given his wife a Bible and he said, well, maybe that'll help. And he reached over and he grabbed it and he began reading it. And he got through the entire Bible in a month. The whole thing. He's just sorbian. He, he's just like a sponge. It was all new to him. One day when he was reading it, his oldest son, Willie, Willie Jr., came in. He said, Willie, come here. Willie comes in, son. And he says, go get me all those cartons of cigarettes I sent you to the store for an hour ago. So the son comes in with all the cartons of cigarettes. He says, now here, help me tear them up. The son says, what, what are you talking about? You just, you just had me buy them. What are you doing? And he says, look at this. He had gotten to 1 Corinthians 6. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do not defile the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he says, and he, he read it to his son. He said, I can't do that. And his son said, that doesn't say anything about smoking. And he says, it says everything about smoking. Your body's a temple. How can I put smoke in on top of the Holy Spirit? And while you're at it, go get the beer I sent you for too. And we're going to pour that out. He didn't need anybody teaching him. The Bible was teaching him. The Holy Spirit was teaching him. And the son thought he was crazy. But they destroyed all of it. The power of God's Word to change life. If we don't say, well, it doesn't really mean that. Or the scholars say, or there's some division among theologians. Blah, 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 blah. What does God's Word say? Just let God's Word be a sharp cutting sword that cuts out the cancer of sin in our life. And gives us life and peace and healing. And then you get to, by the way, Willie was my first elder eight years later. My first church I pastored. And then there's fellowship. Fellowship we can do here at church. We have fellowship lunch and fellowship and lobby for fellowship. But the real place where fellowship takes place is in homes. 
That's really where it is. And so we've got to be in each other's homes. We've got to find ways to connect with each other. I was... Um, Back when I turned down that invitation from the older Pastor Page, the Lord had been putting on my heart that I needed to get off the road because I was a youth director all over a big state of Texas and I needed to get back into pastoring for a while. And so I accepted a call to go to Kansas City to pastor. And I was, called, I was talking to the held elder. I had not met him in person. I said, I said, Tom, tell me about the church. And he told me about this and that and the other. And, and I asked him about several things. I said, tell me about prayer meeting. And he said, well, we're kind of a drive-in church. And, and uh, prayer meeting was getting smaller and smaller. And so about six or eight months ago, we just kind of discontinued prayer meeting. But I guess we probably ought to get it started again when you come, Pastor, do you think? And, and, or what's, what's your idea for prayer meeting? You could tell he's kind of get, getting kind of desperate. And I've been reading about how the early church met from house to house and that other churches were trying to do that more and more. And I thought, and without really thinking to say it, I said, Willie, six months from now, I hope we have 25 prayer meetings all over the city of Kansas City. There's this long pause and he says, I hope we do too. And by God's grace, six months later, we had 25 prayer meetings all over the city of Kansas City. Then I wished I would have said 50 or 100. And these were not complicated things. These were three or more people meeting each week for upreach, connecting to God through Bible study and prayer, through inreach, Asking each other, how's it going? What's the good, the bad, and the ugly? And how can we pray for each other? And the outreach. How are we really going to take God's good news out and let people know that Jesus loves everyone? He's coming soon. He's got a good plan for them. And they need to take it seriously now. How do we do that? And so we just would start these groups. They'd run for 10 weeks, 12 weeks, and they'd take a little break, and then they'd start up again, or they'd reconfigure but it just became more of a lifestyle than a program where it was a lifestyle. And in those groups, people would open up their heart. I was in one, and I would go and I'd visit all of these and the elders began to oversee five or six of them at a time. And, and I remember I was in one of them and, and we're reading about the feeding of the 5,000 and the opener question was, was there ever a time in your life when you were hungry? And the host in this beautiful apartment uh, when it came her turn, she said, yeah, I was hungry uh, between the ages of 5 and 13. And my mom was too poor and she had a bunch of kids and she'd get a big pot of potato salad at this one market and uh, we'd eat one meal a day from that pot until we ran out and then we got enough money to get another pot. But she was too proud to let people know she needed help. And so what she did was at supper time, she'd call all us out when we were playing with the kids. Supper time, we'd come in and all the kids would go out and then we'd just do something else. You don't know those things if you're just sitting in church together. You don't know what somebody's going through right next to you until you connect with them. My wife and I were at one of the churches in Fresno a month and a half ago. A lady came in and sat by herself in front of us. And when we were dismissed, God just impressed us. And I said, hi, I'm Dan. This is my wife, Lois. And, and she says, hi, I'm Mandy. 
And I said, nice to meet you, Mandy. How long have you been coming here? I found that's a really handy question. How long have you been coming here? She said, this is my first time. Well, Mandy and her husband now are every Monday night meet with my wife for Bible studies. They're preparing for baptism. Never been baptized. They're just right there. Maybe some of you need to be baptized. Maybe we need to connect as need be. It's, it's, God's got those things. But fellowship in home context, God will help us connect with each other. And it doesn't have to be complicated. And then there's prayer. And of course, prayer. This is a conference that is a, filled with prayer warriors. And I know that um, Jerry and Janet Page led the charge so many years ago. And it's just transformed so many people people and lives and everything. But if I could just say one thing about prayer today, I'd say there was a turning point in my life when I began praying in the positive instead of the negative. Um, When I was a kid, I had a really hard time getting along with my older sister. She used to teach in this conference. (laughs) Good friends with the pages. Had a really hard time. We wound up in a one-room church school together. That was not good. Because we are not eight kids, my two sisters and I, and five other kids. When we divide for teams at recess, she's always on the other. We're on opposite teams because I was the second best athlete in the school, and that doesn't make you feel good if you have a competitive spirit. And your older sister is the best athlete, and I'm not going to tell you about temper tantrums and all the rest of that garbage. But I remember the day when I knew I needed to pray and I said, Dear Jesus, you know how much I hate. Well, does that, is that a good, you know, it, you, it's okay to acknowledge it, but I'm having a hard time getting along with my sister. And I'm supposed to love her and I can't find any love for her in my heart. But you say that you love all people, including her. So if you could give me a little bit of the love you have in your heart for her and put it in my heart, maybe it'll help. And somehow God did that and we love each other today. And last weekend, I spent the weekend with her when I was up there preaching at Weimar University. And you know, God can do those things. And Ellen White mentions in the book, The Desire of Ages, we can pray in such a way that the devil looms up in our consciousness. And it's when we're doing things like this where, oh Lord, you know how hard it is to get along with my boss or my coworkers or my spouse. You know how they mistreat me. You know how I'd like to get them back. No, you don't want that. The devil is getting bigger and bigger. But we can acknowledge the problem and then we can say, God, you're bigger than this. You're bigger than this. You can solve this. You can change my heart. You can make me see them as a child of the king that needs you. And I even tell pastors, you know, in churches, sometimes you'll have some EGRs, some extra grace required people. And God will grow your character, but not in this one. That's good. All right. And then finally, we get to the missionary, the Lord added. The Lord added. Something I wish I would have caught on to earlier is that most of our members have never knowingly led somebody to Jesus and seen them baptized. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands or anything like that. But most of our members 
have never knowingly led somebody to Jesus to embrace the Bible truths and to be baptized and unite with the Adventist movement. They've never had that experience. And so I would try to coax and persuade and in honesty, guilt trip them and <laughs> all the rest of it. But that didn't help until we had a simple plan called the eight-week plan. And if somebody's serious about surrendering to Jesus, if they're highly receptive, if they acknowledge they need God and they want God, then we schedule their baptism about eight weeks away and we prepare them in eight weeks. And seven, eight times out of ten, they follow through and they're baptized and they're thrilled and they can turn around and lead their friends through the eight-week plan too. It's just a... It's possible. And so we would call, we said everybody can be a baptism coach. A baptism coach. But there are two things you need. One is you need to have very, everybody knows when the next baptisms are scheduled. So that when you see somebody's receptive, you can say, would, we want you to help, we want to help prepare you for the next baptism on this date. Having a date will help them see their way forward. They've been wandering around in a fog for years. They don't need somebody to say, well, do you want this, this, this? We have 23 different kinds of Bible study guides. Which one do you want? They're in a fog. They need somebody to take them by the hand and say, if you're serious about this and you'll keep your eyes on Jesus and you'll embrace these Bible truths, in about eight weeks or whenever it is, you'll be baptized and you'll become an official part of the family of God. It's amazing how many people are waiting for that. Not everybody, but some are waiting for that. The other thing that you need is to have in the lobby, in bulk, baptismal preparation guides. I found they're in most churches, but they're usually behind three locked doors. And somebody has to guard them carefully until everybody's been properly trained to touch them and then use them. But we just put them in bulk out there and they'd go like the leaves of autumn and we didn't mind restocking and restocking and restocking and restocking and then we had the four minute training on how to be a baptism coach and I'll just give this example I'm sitting in my office on Wednesday night we have several different groups that are meeting around in the church Wednesday night and groups in homes, groups in the church, groups, groups, groups. Groups are the cells of the body. Okay? You have healthy groups, more groups, multiplying groups, and you'll have healthier body and growing body. Okay? So I was sitting there in the office, and I was going to go check around, and here walks a guy, in a guy who I'd seen show up kind of at the back once or twice on Sabbath morning. He says, can I talk to you? I said, sure. And he says, well... My name is On. My dad is a Vietnamese pastor in Seattle for years. But when I was a teenager, I was rebellious. I went my own way. I got into drugs. I served some time. I married my wife. She's Buddhist. And, and our life is a mess. She's a better Christian, even though she's a Buddhist, than I am. And our kids are in trouble in our home. I need help. Earlier in my days, I might have said, well, there's a Christian psychologist at this number if you could. And I said, and I'm not against good Christian psychologists that are Bible-based in a framework of helping people know God and work through those things. But God had sent them to me right now. And so I said, on, 
we have an eight-week plan to get people back on track with Jesus, having joy in everyday walk with Jesus, trusting Jesus, remembering the Bible truths that you probably learned at some point in time, and it usually results in a baptism. Are you interested? He says, yeah. Okay, it's not some complicated thing. Are you interested? Yeah. And I said, great. And in my early days, I would have said, we'll study together. No. I want my members to all have that experience. So I said, let's go find a baptism coach for you. So we start going around and looking through the little windows and the doors at each group, and I'm praying about who. And, and then I see Abdul. He'd been a Muslim before he became a Seventh-day Adventist. And he had been baptized about six months before. And there he was with his girlfriend leading the Ministry of Healing reading group. Reading the Ministry of Healing and discussing it. And I looked at him and he looked at me and I went, and he came out and I said, Abdul, this is On. He, on needs a baptism coach to take him through the eight-week plan to prepare him for baptism, which would be on this date. Are you willing to be his baptism coach? I'd be honored. I'd be honored. Well, how did Abdul know what an eight-week plan was? He'd been through it with somebody else. And so we got them get their, sharing their contact information. And then I knew I needed to do the little refresher course. So I walked with On and Abdul out to the lobby of the church. I said, here's how it works, On. Here are 14 study guides. We didn't want to have one of these that you have 35 lessons to prepare for baptism. We'll do a lot of the training after they're baptized, but we'll do enough before. So we had 14 lessons to get them on track. And I said, On, the plan is to do two of these each week. And what you need it, and here's lesson one and two for you. And it's very simple. Find a time tonight to get started. Say, Lord, please show me your truth and help me to follow it. And he will. And you start reading, and here it has a question. It has some Bible verses right here. You can look it up in your Bible if you want. And then it has some comments, and then it goes to, and you just go right on through it. And here at the back is a quiz. Do the quizzes. And do two lessons a week. Your baptism is scheduled for, and we gave him the date. April, whatever it was. And that's one we're aiming for. If you're faithful and focused, you'll be baptized on that date. And then I took another lesson one and two, and I said, Abdul, you know what this is like. Stay ahead of on. And the two of you get together each week for an hour and just review the quizzes. And as you review the quizzes, if you have any questions, look back in the lessons. And if you can't find the answer there, call anybody on the church board. Their names and numbers are in the church bulletin every week. So they can be church board mentors. And then I took a third lesson, one and two, and who did I give it to? On. And I said, on, whenever God's waking somebody up spiritually like He is you, He's waking up somebody else around you. And you pray about who that is, and you take those lessons and you give them to them. And they might even join you in this journey. They might even be baptized with you. I don't know who it is, a co-worker, a neighbor, a friend. It might be your Buddhist wife. And eight weeks later, 
Abdul is beaming because he has coached his first person. His first two people. On and his wife. And I baptized them along with nine other people on my last Sabbath in that district. And I didn't have to worry that after the pastor left, everything would fall apart. Because they're connected with each other. Let's live in these last days the way that they lived in the apostolic days. I want to do this as we close. Sorry to go a little bit long, but hopefully I've given you something to think about. Let's bow our heads. Eternal Father in heaven, forgiving, forgive us for living Laodicean lifestyles. I'm praying for myself, Lord, for not being all in for you for so many years, even as one of your workers. And help me to redeem the time. While our heads are still bowed and our eyes closed, I'm going to invite each of you to ask the Lord what your next step should be. And when God gives you some indication of what your next step should be in living like the early church, when He's given you some indication, then just stand to your feet. You're speaking to our hearts, Lord. Some recognize they need to be in Your Word a whole lot more. Others recognize they really need to be connecting on a different level with fellow members. And maybe in homes as well. Some are recognizing that prayer needs to be all through every day. Some are recognizing they need to be more bold for You. So Lord, impress each one and as they're impressed, I'll invite them to stand to their feet for whatever that next step is that you're impressing them with. And thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers, speaking to our hearts, empowering us to live for you and putting in our heart the hope of your return and the joy of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.